0: Well, my first real exposure to elders in a church uh, was when I started working in a church in Colorado. Uh, My kind of predisposition to elders growing up was an elder was a person that wore a suit and tie and went to lots of meetings and knew how to balance budgets. That was my understanding of an elder growing up. And then I started working at a church, and I met a man named Bill Narden, who was an elder at the church. Bill was in his late 60s, early '70s when I came there. He uh, used to be in the Air Force, was an architect. Uh, he became a Christian after he got married, he and his wife became Christians. And um, just a few years into their marriage, his wife uh, um, had a disease that uh, caused her to go blind. Um, and they couldn't have children. They were married for 40-plus years, and his wife had died just a few years before I had met him and started working with him. Bill was an amazing man. He let me borrow his forerunner uh, when my car died. He let me go to his cabin with uh, my children, a cabin that he built himself as an architect. Um, we would get together quite often for breakfast and lunch. He modeled to me Christ, He was one of my first exposures to what an elder was. Another first exposure I had was, you know, planting this church. I had never been the head pastor and um, had elders that I trained myself and uh, were voted on by a congregation. And one of our first elders at our church was a man named Bruce Marker. He also, like Bill Narden, became a Christian after uh, he got married. Uh, when he retired from his work uh, for the city in, uh, city in Delaware, he moved here to Wisconsin where his wife Carol was from, and he wanted to come and help a church plant, and here it was at Appleton, Wisconsin. My wife and I comment about uh, Bruce that uh, next to my kids and my wife, I probably spent the most time with Bruce Marker than anyone else. Um... We counsel people together, we did hospital visits together, we often went to lunch together, presbytery meetings, watched Philadelphia Eagles games, because he was a huge Eagles fan, and he really was my confidant. And if you want to know how I continue in ministry, or have continued in ministry, it is really a lot of his counsel, and love, and care for me. Many times I was ready to be done, and he was a man that came alongside me and helped me in this work. Two men's lives that sacrificed were very generous, not just to me, but to many people in the churches that they served. And they became Christians later in life, and their lives were reordered by Christ. And it really became contagious for many people that they were around. Well, for some other reason, in my time serving along both of these men I walked with both of them as they were diagnosed with cancer. I was with them as they declined in health. I was in their bedside as they took their last breaths. I was with them when they died. I helped bury them both and officiated their funeral services. Today we are going to see another church leader in both her life And her death. And what we're going to find with these people like Bill and and Bruce. These followers of Christ. Their worlds are reordered. And it affects how they live and die. And when other people observe their lives. They believe the gospel. Let's look and see this woman's life. The story of this leader in a church in a town named Joppa. Follow along with me. Acts 9, verse 36 through 42. It's printed in your worship guide too. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. Rejoining us. Welcome to Emmaus Road. We're going through the book of Acts uh, this winter and uh, this spring. And Acts is book two, you would say, of Luke's writings. course, the Gospel of Luke is his first book, and his second one here is Acts, documenting 30 years of the church's growth, the early years of the church. Luke was a companion of Paul, Saul, and he wrote these books to his friend Theophilus. He wanted Theophilus to see the confidence in what he believed, that this stuff was true, that it happened. He was documenting the events of the early church. We saw in the beginning of Acts, Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, says, The Spirit will come upon you, and this message of the gospel will go forth in Jerusalem, to Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And that is what's starting to happen here in the book of Acts. Despite imprisonments, despite executions, Despite people getting kicked out of their homes in Jerusalem, plus people inside the church trying to corrupt the church, the gospel goes forward. So much so that we see now, all the way here into chapter 9, that the churches are starting to form not just in Jerusalem, but towns outside of Jerusalem. Towns like Lydda and Joppa. These are towns about 15 to 20 miles northwest of jerusalem and we see that luke identifies these people as saints really saints means holy ones people that are set apart and that is how he identifies these gatherings of people the church things have calmed down in jerusalem a little more where the apostles are and there is Peter in Jerusalem, and he says, well, let's go find out what's going on in these towns where the churches are taking formation. Towns like Lydda and Joppa. And we see the story before, the story of Tabitha, that he is in Lydda, and he heals a man that is paralyzed. And the man is able to walk. And now he goes to Joppa, a n- news of what we hear happens to Tabitha. Now, first, let's see what it says here about Tabitha. We see that um, this town, Joppa, again, is influenced by Greek and Hebrew tradition. A lot of Hellenists is what they're called. Jewish people that have Greek tradition or Roman tradition behind them. And we see that even um, Tabitha is given a, this Hebrew name, Tabitha, and the Greek name, Dorcas, I'm going to say Tabitha because it sounds better than Dorcas. That's an unfortunate name. In Greek and Hebrew, it means gazelle. Probably, again, borrowed from the Song of Songs. It uses the word gazelle, which would kind of just be a word for beloved. Her name was Beloved. And it kind of fit who she was. And we have some identifiers of who this Tabitha was. She's a disciple, meaning she's a Christ follower She lives in this community. In this community, she does charity and good works. We realize as we go on that she made clothing for the widows in her community. Again, we see early on what is happening with this gospel message that Jesus promised would go forward. It is happening. It's spreading. It's transforming people in communities. To a woman like Tabitha who would do good works, and who would make clothing for widows. On the onset of this passage, it seems just very ordinary. A movement in a small sea town of Joppa, a woman making clothes. Again, women were not mentioned much in that society, but Luke seems to mention them all the time in the Gospels and in Acts. See, the gospel works in these ordinary ways. Of course, we know the extraordinary is going to happen in the story, but it happens in the midst of the ordinary. Recently, a church historian that specifically studies revivals decided that he would go to see what's happening at Asbury College in Kentucky. So we've got an Asbury grad, maybe. There we go. Awesome. That's right. I forgot that, Sam. You went to Asbury. Nice. Um, If you didn't know, a chapel service uh, that they probably have on a daily basis, maybe a few times a week. um, A few dozen students were there doing the regular chapel service. And they've not left. (laughs) It's been two plus weeks. And they've continued to worship and sing and pray. And people throughout the nation, throughout the world, have come to this small town in Kentucky and worshiped and prayed with them, thousands and thousands of people. This historian who studies revival said, hey, why don't I come and see what's going on? And in his article, he documented the extraordinary, extraordinary things are happening. Thousands of people are coming. People are um, praying, getting to know each other. People are repenting. There is amazing things happening at this chapel in Kentucky. Well, he also documented, these are the most extraordinary things that I found when I was there. The bathrooms were clean. (laughs) Food was provided for people. That guys brought food trucks for free, and people could just go out and eat. That there was not chaos. It was led by students. There were structured times with breaks every 45 minutes to an hour. And people simply prayed. The extraordinary was found in the ordinary. Bill Narden, he actually went to the Air Force Academy. He was an architect. But when he retired, he started teaching students for free. He gave so much money away to the church for clean water in Africa. What might seem like the ordinary was extraordinary. Bruce and Carol Marker, they had the chance to retire and move up to Maine. To retire in beautiful Maine. Not saying Appleton, Wisconsin is not beautiful. But they moved here instead. To help a church plant the extraordinary in the ordinary. Clean bathrooms here at our church. People that cook for each other when they are in need or have a baby. People that take time to mentor others to go to Jefferson Elementary and be a big brother and a big si- or a big sister to kids that are there hear people in our church that open their homes to people they have never met before, to have them in their home and share life with them, people that help single mothers. It is amazing what happens in a reordered life of Christ, and it's on display right here in Joppa with a woman named Tabitha. That 2,000 years later, Her name would still be mentioned. And you say, of course her name is still mentioned. Right? Peter rose her from the dead. But here's the point. The message in that extraordinary is not just for her, but it is for the whole church. And they live in it. Well, of course, the conflict enters the story, right? The tragedy comes in. Beloved Tabitha becomes ill and dies. An upper room is prepared for her burial. And if you have read the Gospels in Luke, you start to see these stories, one in Lydda and then here in Joppa, echo some of the things that we saw in the Gospels. We saw in the Gospels a paralyzed man lowered from a roof that's told to take up his mat and go. The same thing happens in Lida. We see here, we see back in Jesus' time, that this man named Jairus, his daughter, dies. And Jesus brings this daughter back to life. Echoes again of this story of Tabitha. But we also see some differences. Since the resurrection of Christ, things have changed. If you read back in the story of Jairus' daughter and her death, before she died, Jairus' messengers went out to find Jesus because he knew he could do miraculous healings and asked him to come and heal his daughter. But then news came to them that Jairus' daughter had died. And the men say, well, there's really no need for Jesus anymore. She's already dead. Of course, you read the story, Jesus goes anyway and raises her back to life. But something is different here. The messengers don't come when Tabitha is sick. They come when she has already died. There is a belief that there is a new way. The resurrection has changed People's thinking. Also, in Jewish tradition, you would bury people right when they died, before sunset. But here, they keep Tabitha in the upper room. See, there is a reality of things that are different. There is a hope and an idea that these people have since the resurrection that makes them live differently. When Peter arrives on the scene, we are given this very vivid picture. Here in this upper room are these widows weeping. We might not see it in the Greek tense, but what it's saying is these women are showing Peter the dresses that Tabitha made for them. What a picture that Luke gives us. Here are these women that are dressed in the clothing that this woman made for her, weeping over her death. Peter asked them to clear the room, again echoing what Jesus did in the healing of Jairus' daughter. And then he says, Tabitha, rise. In the Aramaic, Tabitha, Kumi. In Mark, it actually mentions the very words in Aramaic that Jesus uses for Jairus' daughter. He says, Talitha kumi. One letter difference. Jesus says, Maiden, rise. Talitha kumi. Here, Peter says, Tabitha, rise. Again, echoes of what Jesus has done. You see this community lives in the reordering of Jesus, the Savior that has come. They live in that reality and they know it. They know of the one that sacrificed for others and they do the same. Tap of this life. They know of the weeping of Jesus and the weeping of his suffering in the world. And they weep over Tabitha and her death. But in the midst of that weeping and that serving, they also live in hope. This is the great tension. The already but not yet. Living in this broken world where we still see death, divorce, disease, all of these broken things, but we still live in this hope that the world has been reordered by a new king. Sometimes we forget after these healings that people brought back from the dead that they eventually do die. Jairus' daughter is not immortal. Lazarus eventually died. Tabitha eventually died but their raising from the dead was a sign of the resurrection that did not end that christ rose from the dead and is still seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us he has completed this work You want to make Easter sweeter? You want the resurrection to actually mean something in your life more than just pastels on Easter Sunday, family pictures in front of borders or whatever churches do, more than just having peeps and filling yourself with sugar? That is what Lent does. It's a season of preparation, where we contemplate our mortality, we contemplate Christ's suffering, we fast from things that we enjoy. My girls and I were debating about what is okay to fast from, what's not okay to fast from. One of them said, I'm going to fast from being sassy. I said, that's not the point of fasting. We don't fast from things we should already be putting to death as sin, (laughs) okay? That's not what we're trying to do, okay? Fasting is putting away something that we celebrate, that is a good thing, you know? Sweets, you know? Maybe our television. Maybe we like a drink once in a while. I don't know what those things, things that bring us joy, God's creation that we celebrate. But many times, we were talking about this the staff meeting, that many times in our society, when we are feeling broken, when we are hurting, we quickly go to these things to cover up our suffering and our pain. Now, when you actually don't have these things to go back to, it actually causes you to have to go to Christ, to understand what he suffered, what he faced, that he carried it for us. When we remove ourselves from these wonderful things, we can then fill ourselves with what Christ has given us. You want to make these things sweeter. These beautiful things that God has given us, alcohol, entertainment, good food, you want to make them sweeter? Fill yourself with the one that shows how creation was ordered with Christ. We have, again, the, I a, I did a little write-up on fasting. Read that. I think we have some articles in the back, too, about it. So I encourage you, if you're interested in fasting, make sure you, you know, follow the right procedure on it. Make sure you're doing it the right way. It's not simply to just show people, look, this is what I do. No, to draw you closer to Christ. That's the hope in that. And it's okay to break fast like on Sunday, To again, know that Sunday is Resurrection Day. That you get to break the fast on Sunday. And also helping you prepare for breaking the fast at Easter. And the joy that comes, the celebration that comes. That there will be end of death. That there will be a feast that will come in the new heavens and the new earth. Well then, what happens is that Tabitha... Is brought back to life and she is presented to the church, to the saints. And we see that um, Tabitha lives in this reordering that is to fully come in the kingdom. And so people believed, they saw what happened to Tabitha, and it says that people in Joppa believed in the Lord. I love this little note at the end in verse 33. So random, you would think. Simon, a tanner, right? Why would this just be in the story? We're talking about this in community group. That if people had questions, did this actually happen that we're reading this? Like people like Theophilus or others that have this book, they could go to this guy who lives in Joppa, Simon the tanner, and ask him, what happened? What happened? This is not something that is just ethereal, something that's out there. This is something that is historical. That people would believe that you can't simply explain it away. I love what Blaise Pascal says, one that became a Christian later in life, a scientist and philosopher. He said this. Make Christianity lovable, and it should make the good wish it were true. Then show them that it is indeed true. Make Christianity lovable, and it should make the good wish it were true. Then show them it is indeed true. Some of you were there. Carol put out an email, Carol Marker put out an email that, you know, Bruce had a stroke, he was in a hospice care, and anybody wanted to come, they could come, and we were going to sing, and we were going to pray for Bruce, and so many, many in our church came to this little room, we kind of filled the whole room up, and um, it was beautiful, we prayed, we sang, we cried. We rejoiced. We saw our brother. We saw what sin does. It will take us. And at the same time, we rejoiced in what we know that Christ does. Well, at this gathering where we were singing and praying for Bruce, there were the hospice workers were there. And some of Carol's family and people outside her church And the people commented to Carol, they said this, Who are you people? Who are you? That there would be hope beyond the grave. That there would be love in tragedy. That there is a community transformed and living in the kingdom of God to come that friends would see it that our colleagues would see it that our family would see it i love what tim keller says borrowing on Blaise pascal wouldn't it be great if that was true that they would say that wouldn't it be great if that was true and maybe they would say But is it? What if? What if Christ actually existed? What if he actually lived a perfect life? What if he rose from the dead? What if it was true? The people in Joppa, they believed it. That is what we are. We are saints that do the ordinary and in the ordinary people see the extraordinary. What if? What if there is hope a reordering of this world. That there will be an end of war. There will be justice for people that went through slavery. There will be justice for those that are abused. That there would be life even off of sickness and cancer and death. What if it was true? We live it now and we can show the world just in the way this community showed their city we can do the same maybe you overlooked it when you read the passage i sure did i needed some commentary to show it to me that i didn't see right The upper room is mentioned a couple times, not by accident. See, the upper room is the language that Luke uses to what the disciples do with Jesus at the Last Supper. It's no coincidence that it's used here for the raising of Tabitha. See, there is something different for those who partake in fellowship with Jesus, who drink from his cup, that take on his flesh, they unite themselves with Christ. There is a hope that comes, the same hope that, come, that came to Tabitha, a life transformed. This right here is simply not a good deed society. That's not what the church is, folks. No, it's a collection of people that have been transformed by Christ. And because of that, because the Spirit lives in us, because we live under a new kingdom, we can live in that hope now like Tabitha, knowing that one day there will no longer be death, that we will live with our king.